time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. You guys feeling good this morning? Good, good. Well, Desperation 2011, this is our 10th year of doing this. How many of you, this is your, your first year ever to come Desperation? Man, we want to welcome you. So excited for you to be here. Now, here's the real question. Are, have any of you, is anyone in this room or any of you, year one, World Prayer Center, who was here, 2002, anyone, anyone? I know we have one over here, right there. Yeah, yeah, let's give, well, look at that, 10 years of desperation. Man, we are so, so, so excited to have you guys, and uh, this has been such a great uh, week already. Uh, worship this morning was awesome. Man, just come before Jesus, you guys getting up early, going for it, and so thank you for, for just diving in right away. Okay? Well, my name's Dan, and I'm excited to hang out with you guys this morning, and we're going to talk today about courage. Everybody say courage. Oh, come on, say courage like you got some. Say courage. There you go. There you go. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. I want to read this. I love this verse. It says, be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. Now that is a Bible verse. I mean, let's read it. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men of courage. Be strong. I, 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 I think this is true for all of you, but especially you men. Men, if you're looking for a life verse... I just found you one right here, right? Let's be men of courage. Let's stand firm in the faith. Be on your guard. I'm excited for what the Lord's going to do today. So let's just welcome him. Jesus, we love you. We invite you in this place. We ask that you will move in each one of our hearts. We honor you with all that we are. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to talk about courage. And, uh, and so... Uh, about a year ago, I got the opportunity, uh, maybe a little bit more than that, to, uh, to fulfill something, to kind of cross something off of the bucket list of my life. Anybody, uh, you know, you have the bucket list, some of the things that, that you want to make sure you do before you die. Uh, I, don't, I don't really know what they are until after I've done them. And then I'm like, oh, that was on my bucket list. I'm glad I did it. Uh, but I got the opportunity. Uh, my, my, growing up, my, my favorite band uh, has been, it's a little band, it's, it's kind of an indie band. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Uh, their name is U2. And, uh, and so I got, to, I got to go see them in concert. And uh, so that was a big deal. Uh, I, that was like, I'd wanted to see them for a long time. And my wife, Amy, and I actually went down. We, we, we went and saw them with some of my buddies uh, and, uh, we, in, in Oklahoma. And so we drove to go see them. They came to Denver, but we drove to Oklahoma to see them because we're smart like that. And, uh, and so we went to this concert and uh, it was, I was really looking forward to it. And so we get there and the opening band, like they, they come out, at, you know, but before, before U2 was on, there's an opening band. You guys know how that works. You ever been to a concert? Okay, good. And so the, the opening band was uh, this, this band called the Black Eyed Peas. And, uh, oh, ooh, we have some tension. We have some tension. And so anyway, now here, let me tell you, here's the thing about you two. Uh, they're, they're not young. They're not new. And I liked them when I, like, I, for, I remember the first time I ever heard their song. I was in junior high. I was driving in, uh, my brother was driving his car. He had a, a red Mustang LX and we were rolling in it. And, uh, and, and he put on, and it was a cassette tape. Now what cassette tapes are, 
are these, they're these tapes that people used to listen to music on and you would put it in your car and you listen to it. And so, and, and he turned up this song. He was like, this is a band called U2. It's called, and the song was still haven't found what I'm looking for. And they're singing about searching for God. And I was like, oh, this is so good. And, and, and I was like, man, I'm going to be so cool because when I'm in junior high, I'm listening to the song. And I'm like, this band is so good. And they're so old. I'm going to have such good taste in music when I go to school. And so here I am a few years later and they're still playing. And so if they were old when I was in junior high, then what are they now? You know what I'm saying? I hope they're not ever, anyway, they don't, they're not going to watch this. And, uh, and so we go see them. And, and so what I'm really trying to get at is, uh, the crowd was not a young crowd. And, uh, and so it was interesting, uh, as, as actually Amy and I were some of the younger people in our section. And so to have the black eyed peas open for them was a very interesting thing for me as I'm seeing these middle-aged women dance to the black eyed peas. This is pretty disturbing to me, actually. I was like, there's too much boom and not enough power, you know? And so, so I was like, I just no good. And so we're, we're in this concert and I'm like, you know what? This is probably the best time for me to go and, and uh, I'm going to go to the restroom now because I don't want to miss any of the real show. And, I, and this show is not what I came for, if you know, uh, that's no good. So, so I left and, uh, and, and when I'm, uh, I went and did stuff. And then when I was coming back, I, uh, there was a line to get in. And so the, I don't know if it was just the way the auditorium was made, but basically there was enough room for one line on the way in and one line on the way out. It wasn't a very wide walkway. And so I, I'm standing in line to get back in. And uh, I'm about probably, there's probably two, 300 people waiting to get back in. Everybody has all their food, all their stuff. And uh, I'm, about, I'm about midway through, probably behind about 150 people. And, there's, or, and then there's that many people behind me. And we're all patiently waiting in line to get back in. And all of a the sudden, there's this dude. And you know this guy. This is the guy that stole your lunch money. This is the guy that shoved you in the locker. This is the guy that drives on the shoulder during, during traffic jams. This is the motorcycle that's weaving through cars on the freeway that you really want to swerve and hit them, but you know it would do some bodily damage to your car. That's this guy. And he starts walking up the wrong way, passing everybody. And he's got his hand full of food. And I'm like, what is this guy doing? I was like, I... I cannot stand for this. What can I do in this moment? And so I stepped over and I stood there and I waited for him to walk up behind me, hands full of food. And he was like, excuse me, but not like the excuse me, like he was, it's like the polite words, but he wasn't being polite. You know, it was the get out of my way, excuse me. And, uh, and here I was and, I, and I'm looking and I'm like, all of a sudden, all of the thoughts, I was like, man, this guy, now I'm looking, I'm like, who is this guy? Oh, this is the guy that's much bigger than me. Oh, this is the guy that could step on me right now. What am I doing here? I don't want to get kicked out. I've, I, I've actually paid money to be here. The concert has even started. I don't want to get kicked out. I don't want to see the headline of the paper tomorrow. Local pastor gets in fist fight, kicked out of concerts. I was like, that's not what I want. So he was like, excuse me. And I, I looked over my shoulder and I was like, now you can wait with the rest of us. I, I, and he was like, excuse me? And this time he meant it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, you can wait with us. And, and, and this is the guy that apparently, you know this guy. 
He's not smart enough to figure out that when I'm standing in front of him, that means that this space is empty. And if he just steps here and steps here, he can get around me. And so he just starts standing there. And he's angry. And I'm like, what's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. I'm about to get some coke dumped on my head and then an elbow to the neck. I know it. And I wait for a little while. And, and, and it takes him a little while. But, but finally it dawns on him, oh, I can go around him. So he does, and, and I don't stop him because I, I don't want to get in a fight. I'm not a big man. And uh, that was supposed to be funny. You're supposed to laugh at that. And, uh, and so, so he goes around, and, and I step back in, in my place in line. And this lady behind me is like, hey, kid, that took courage. And I was like, that's right, it did. <laughs> and then I began thinking about it, and I was like, Really? I mean, really, what did I do? I, I stood in front of a dude with his hands. Full. I mean, if he really wanted, he, he spent a lot of money on that food. I figured he wasn't going to drop it just to kick me, you know? And so, but, but it made me think, what is courage? What, when we talk about courage, what are we talking about? When, when the scripture says that we're to be men and women of courage, what does that look like? What does that mean? This, this week's theme, as we're in desperation, we're talking about no compromise. And I want to encourage you that in order to live with no compromise, it's going to take courage. It's going to take you stepping out of your comfort zone. It's going to take you having moments of boldness. It's going to take you, it's going to take everything that's within you and that you don't want to do it, but, but you know that you are going to. When your friends are going to the party, it's going to take courage for you not to partake in that. When your friends are making fun of you, Because you're going to church, it's going to take courage. When your friends ask you to go hang out and you really want to, but you know, you know what? I I want to make sure I spend time with Jesus first today. It's going to take courage to tell them, hey, I can't go to the movie with you. I have a more important thing of reading my Bible. They're not going to understand it. It's going to take courage. Courage is the muscle behind character. If you want to be a man or a woman that has character, it's going to take you living with courage. If you want to be a man or a woman that lives with no compromise, it's going to take you living with courage. When I was in high school, I had a t-shirt that I would wear. I hope you do too. And uh, this shirt, I, I, I would put it on before school and, and it was giant on the back. It just said really big. I dare you to ask me about Jesus. And, uh, you know, I'd put it on in the morning. I'd be like, oh yeah, I'm gonna wear my Jesus shirt today. It says, I dare you to ask me about Jesus. Let's see what happens, do your worst school. And I'd go to school and this really funny thing would happen. People would ask me about Jesus. I'd be like, hey dad, so tell me about Jesus. And I kid you not, every time in that moment, I looked at them and I said, I know you're making fun of me, it's not funny. And I walked away. Do you know, every time I wore that shirt, never once did I have the courage to tell people about Jesus. Why did I wear the shirt? I know what you're saying. You you wouldn't wear the shirt. Neither would I. If I was to go back today and I put that shirt on, I'd be like, oh, this shirt looks good. I'm going to put a shirt over top and button it up, (laughs) you know. But how often does that happen? We set ourselves up. We, we come to a conference like this and we talk about living in no compromise and we go back home and we're excited and, and we want to do stuff like wear the t-shirt and we want to do stuff like lead the prayer meeting. But then when we actually start doing the stuff and there gets to be a little resistance, 
it's really easy to rationalize why we shouldn't continue on with what is happening here this week. It takes courage to not do that. It's going to take you some courage. Do you know what the most commonly repeated verse in the Bible is or command in the Bible? Do not be afraid. The the most commonly repeated command, do not fear. I mean, when you think of the Bible, what do you think of? Do you think of, of, you you, you think of of the story of Jesus? You think of the Old Testament, you know, so you think of the the Ten Commandments. That's when you start thinking of commands in the Bible, you think of, of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So you think of them, but you don't know what you're thinking about. And then you think, you know, but, but do we know that the, the thing that's said the most is do not be afraid. Do not fear. I want to talk about one of my Bible heroes today. His name's Daniel. Have we ever heard of Daniel? I'm pretty sure that I was named after him. I'm pretty sure. And uh, it, it took me a while to realize. I, I, I knew I was named after Daniel, but I didn't really know the, what that meant. And uh, it took me a while in my life before I realized that Daniel is a pretty kicktail dude. I mean, like when you read the story of Daniel, this is a man of courage. This is a man that lived with boldness. And so we're going to read some Bible. Are you guys okay with reading some Bible this morning? I like the Bible. Do you like the Bible? I like the Bible. It's good. And I want to read, as we read the Bible today, I want to do it. I don't know, maybe this is how you do it, but I want to read it like it's a story. And I, and I want to challenge you as you read the Bible to remember that these are real people, that you're reading about things that actually happened. So read it and think, huh, I wonder what, what, ha- what I would do if I was in that situation. And, and even as, as Michael Farron was talking yesterday about the woman that crawled to Jesus, put yourself in that place and say, what, what does that look like to crawl? Man, there's some people's nasty feet around there. These things in the Bible really happened. And, and so I want to encourage you to read it like a story and let it come alive in you. Daniel 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem to besiege it. And the Lord delivered the king of Judah into his hands, along with some of the articles of the temple of God. And these he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put it in the treasure of the house of God. That's an important thing. We'll come back to that. So there's this king. He comes to Jerusalem. He takes it over and he takes the stuff out of the temple and he puts it in his, he steals the stuff out of the temple of God and he puts it in his temple. So remember that. We'll come back to it. And then the king ordered some dude, chief of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. And so the... Uh, Verse four, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them daily amount of food and wine at the king's table. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter the king's service. So the king goes and he takes over the city, over Jerusalem, and he tells his man... Hey man, okay, what you're going to do is you're going you're to take care of things there, but I need you to bring some dudes back to me and uh, they're going to serve in my palace. So we're going to train them for three years. We're going we're gonna to give them the best food, we're going to give them the best drink, and, and we're going to train them in our ways and, uh, and, and they're going to serve me. And, uh, and so when it explains who he took, this is our first introduction to Daniel. He says, young men without any physical defect, handsome, 
showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. I'm beginning to understand why my parents named me Daniel. As I read this story, this is our first... By the way, when we first meet David in the Bible, it says that God doesn't judge people by the way they look. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Anyway, let's go back. Doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. And so they, they bring him in. And the first thing they do is they change their names. So, so Daniel's name is changed from Daniel to Belshazzar, which is interesting because Daniel is a, is a name that represents, it means God is my judge. And, and the E-L in his name is what is the name for God. It was the Jewish name for God. And so that is Daniel. And, and he went from, from God, Yahweh, the creator God, being named after him to being named Belshazzar which in and of itself is a downgrade. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, if, I, if my parents named me Belshazzar and you were calling me Belly right now, I would not be loving life. And so, but not only that, but, but it, it, uh, he goes from the name after the God, the creator God, God is my judge, to Belshazzar. He's actually, they change his name to being named after the God Baal, which is the God of thunder. So you go from being named after the almighty creator God to being named after a powerless noise. That's a bad day, you know? And so, I mean, at at least call him Thor or something, but Belshazzar is no good. So this is, so Daniel, here he is in this moment and and they're gonna train him and they want him to become in the work in the king's palace and they wanna train him in all of their ways and they feed him this food. But the thing is, this food has been sacrificed to idols. Daniel's a man of God. So Daniel goes to his, the guy in charge of him and he's like, hey man, uh, I don't want to eat this. And I don't know if you know this or not, but the king picked me because I'm good looking, smart, and, and uh, he wants me to be a big deal. And so I don't really want to eat this. Is that cool with you? And the guy was like, no, if you don't eat that, the king will kill me. Daniel looks at him, that's not good. I mean, I don't want him to kill you. Just ask him. And the, king's, and the guy's like, Daniel, this is not a good idea. So Daniel says, okay, here's what we're going to do. I want you to test us for 10 days. For 10 days, give us nothing but vegetables and water. And, uh, and all your other guys can eat whatever you want them to eat. And we'll see how things are going. Now, I don't know that I agree with Daniel's dietary plans. I mean, vegetables and water. I heard, actually, I heard this the other day. It's a cheesy old man joke. But I heard the other day that vegetables are not food. Vegetables are what food eat. And, uh, and I agree with that. I agree with that. And, uh, and so, so, but Daniel said, let us, you know, maybe we don't, maybe we don't do that. And he looks at his authority and he says, okay, we'll do what you say. I'll test you for 10 days. So he gives him 10 days. And then at the end of 10 days, says, uh, let's go down to verse 12. Oh, we'll start there. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat. Water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat royal food and treat your servants with the accordance with those you see. So he agreed with them. And at the end of the time when they had tested him, they found them better in every area. Why? Is it because vegetables are, are a better source of nutrition? Possibly. But, but, you know, but I believe it's more because Daniel was being obedient to God. In verse twenty. 
It says that in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned him, he found them to be 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Daniel here had the courage to have integrity. He had the courage. Listen, this was not necessarily a smart plan. You've been kidnapped already. They're changing everything about your life. And this is the kind of king that would go in and ransack a city and kill a lot of people. And so, so Daniel is actually in, in somewhat of a privileged position that he, got, that he got moved to the palace. And this means that he's someone that, that the king is looking on to, to privilege. And he's risking ruining that here. He's risking ruining that he's about to have a, a better life than a lot of other people. Because he has integrity. And he has the courage to do what's right. He has the courage to to stand up and say, hey, I'm going to obey my God, not yours. You can call me whatever name you want, but my name is that God is my judge, not you. If you flip over to chapter 5, there's another story. This is a new king. This is King Belshazzar. Verse 1, And King Belshazzar gave a banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. And when Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring the gold and silver goblets of Nebuchadnezzar, his father, that he had taken from Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles and wives and concubines might drink, with, might drink them. So he's throwing this big party, and he, they, run out of, they run out of dishes. He's like, man, we need some plates and some goblets. Hey, I got an idea. Remember when we took over Jerusalem and we stole that stuff from their temple? Go get that stuff from their temple, and let's have a party. And uh, this was not a good idea. Because God didn't like it. God was like, why are you using my silverware, man? That's mine. That was given to me. And so this is what happens in verse 5. Suddenly the finger of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal place. And the king watched as the hand, uh, as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. So he's like, hey, go get the, the God of the, the Israelites, the God of the Jewish people. Let's go get their stuff that we took from their temple to their God and, and we'll serve it and, and we'll just use it to party with. And, and, and God said, oh, I, this is not, I don't like this. So let me reach down and start writing on the wall. And the king sees this. Imagine if a giant hand appeared in this room right now. I bet you most of us would start freaking out. And the king, I mean, he was freaked out. His face goes pale. His knees start knocking together. This is the king. This guy is supposed to be running the country, ruling the country. And he's terrified by this giant hand writing on the wall. Understandably. And so he's freaking out and he's like, I can't read it. I don't know what it says. Here's what I need you to do. Go get me all my enchanters. Go get me all, my, all, the, all the soothsayers, all the people that can maybe read this. And I want them to come tell me what it says because I need to know what it says. And he says, anyone that comes, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna clothe them in purple. I'm gonna put a gold chain on their neck. It probably was a spinner. I don't know, but I'm gonna put a gold chain and they're gonna become the third highest in all of the kingdom. And so he brings in all of his people and none of them can read it. None of them know what it says. So there's this lady and she's like, uh, hey, there was this dude back in the day named Daniel. And he was pretty good with this kind of stuff. Maybe I bring him in. The king was like, a giant hand just appeared. Do whatever it takes. Come on, people. So he brings in Daniel and he's like, Daniel, um, here's what I want you to do. Uh, read that. And if you can read that, I'm going to give you a spinner necklace. I'm going to put you in purple and I'm going to make you third in all of my, in all of my kingdom. 
And I love Daniel's response. This is maybe my favorite response. Chapter five, verse 17, Daniel looks at him. You can keep your gifts and give them to whoever you want, but I'll read it. I just love that. This is a man, here he's standing before the king. This is the man, have you ever heard the phrase, don't kill the messenger? That's that's because people did that. If you brought a bad message, they didn't like it, they would kill you. Daniel's looking at the king and he's reading it. He can probably already read what it says. And he's like, you keep your gifts. I'll read it though. So he reads it and here's what he says. He says, oh, this line says that you've been a bad king. This line says that you've been weighed, measured, and found wanting. Oh, and this line says that your kingdom's over. And there's two other kings that are coming in to take it. All right. Hope that, does, that help? does that help you? Hope that helped. He looks at the king, the man that could just be like, hey, someone, come kill him. I don't like that message. And he's like, I'll interpret this. Sucker, this is what it says. You can't even read this. And he reads it. I love this courage about Daniel. Because as he looks at this king, it doesn't matter that he could take his life. It doesn't matter that this is the land's authority. He says, you know what? I don't need your gifts. I don't fear you. I fear my God. And I'm going to worship him. Daniel was a man that walked in courage and boldness. Let me tell you, and boldness. The last story I want to tell you about Daniel is the one you all know. Daniel in the lion's den. We, we picture this, this like teenager in the lion's den. He was an old man by this time. And there was the third king. And under the third king, under, during Daniel's life, this is chapter six. It says, uh, it pleased Darius to appoint, oh, by the way, after, after Daniel read this stuff, the king did give him his, his, uh, his necklace and his purple and, and, and he made him third in the kingdom. And do you know what I, do you know what I love about that? Is that Daniel looked and and he didn't do it for the promotion, but he was able to have in that moment, he was able to say the right thing and do the right thing. And it, it brought promotion, but that wasn't his motivation. But then later that same night, the king died. So there's a new king. His name was Darius. And it pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom with three administrators over them. One who was Daniel. And they were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps. I don't know what that word means. I could be saying it wrong, but we'll keep going. It's like governors. By his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Daniel was so exceptional that Darius was like, I'm going to set this man over the whole kingdom. And at this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charge against Daniel and his conduct of the, conduct of the government affairs. But they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him. I like this guy. Because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt or negligent. Verse 5, finally the men said, We'll never find anything basis for charge against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So they got together. And they said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, and advisors of the governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce a decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days, except for you, O king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Now the king issued the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians. Those are the guys that came over and took out the other king that Daniel said was going to happen. 
and it could not be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. These guys were jealous of Daniel. They didn't like how successful he was becoming. They probably didn't like it because he was a foreigner and they, and they didn't like it because he wasn't, he, he, because he was above them. So they wanted to get rid of him, but he was a man of integrity as we saw in chapter one. They wanted to get rid of him as soon as they could, but they couldn't find anything wrong with him. So they said, the only way that we can trap him is if we set up something against his God because he'll break that law. So they go to the king and they convince him to set up this law. And the king just agrees. It didn't, didn't seem to be a very long meeting. I don't know. Maybe he liked people singing to him. I don't know. And then word gets out to Daniel. And I just, I just want to read this. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. When Daniel heard the new law, that he couldn't pray to any God, that he couldn't pray to any man except for the king, he heard that law and he was like, oh, that's the new law? And what happens if if you do that? You get thrown into a den of lions. That's tough. See you later. I got to go pray. And he goes home and he prays. And do you know what I love about that? It says that he did it just as he had done before. In order to live with the courage like a man like Daniel, you have to have discipline in the ordinary days to have courage in the extraordinary days. What you're doing today will dictate what you do when crisis comes, when promotion comes, when any change in life comes. What you do in the ordinary days sets you up for what you'll do in the extraordinary days. Daniel had already been praying. He was already a man of prayer. And so he just went and did what he was always going to do. He saw the lines in. He, see, he knew what, what was happening. He was like, I'm going to get thrown in there. It's too bad. I'm going to go pray. So they go and they tell the king. And the king's like, oh, Daniel? Man, he's my favorite. You, you, guys, you, you guys tricked me. Like, I like Daniel. I don't want to throw him in the lines then. And they're like, but king, you wrote it. You're the king. You put it in the law. It has to be done. So he says, you're right. It does have to be done. So he says, Daniel, you know, have the guards go get him, throw him in the lion's den. And it was eating him up inside. He hated it. Verse 16, so the king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet ring, the rings of his noble, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating or without entertainment being brought to him and he could not sleep. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And we came near the den. He called Daniel or he called Daniel in anguish. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel, are you alive? Yeah, king. I'm uh, hanging out with some big cats down here. We're having a good time. Oh, king, live forever. Maybe I'm going to. These lions didn't eat me. I'm just saying. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me. Because, and I love this, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done anything wrong before you, O king. 
And the king was overjoyed and gave the orders to lift Daniel from the den. When Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. All of these things happened because Daniel trusted in in God. Just for fun, I want to read this last part. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. That's a little sad, but... And before they reached the floor, before they reached the floor, the lions overpowered them and crushed all of their bones. I know it's wrong for me to like that part, but Daniel hung out with those lions all night. They were hungry. He's sitting there, an angel comes. Angel shuts their mouths. He's just holding lions' mouths shut. Daniel's hanging out with an angel. And all of a sudden he's like, oh, king, live forever. I'm still alive. Throw me a rope. You know, he he crawls out. They throw the other guys in. They don't even get to to the ground. Boom, gone. Daniel's like, ooh. Y'all shouldn't have messed with my God. But I said it's because he trusted in God. I said that the, the main command in the Bible is do not fear. But never is it do not fear because you're so great. Never is it do not fear because you're so strong. Never is it do not fear because you're so smart. It's do not fear because I am with you. Do not fear because I am your God. If we're going to be men and women that live in no compromise, it's going to take us living without fear, with courage. So let me tell you, how I believe you can live with courage at your home, at your school, with your friends. How do we live with courage every day? How do we be those kind of people? Number one, we're gonna, we're gonna, if you have your Bible, you can turn to Romans 8. Romans 8 tells us a lot about how to live without fear. Number one, if you wanna be a man of courage, if you wanna be a woman of courage, that forcefully advances the gospel, that lives with integrity, that lives in the ordinary days so that you can live for God in the extraordinary days, that, that looks at, that doesn't matter if it brings promotion or, or persecution, you're, you're going to do what God has told you to do. You're gonna be obedient. If you wanna be that kind of man or woman, number one, you have to know who God is because your trust is in him. Romans eight thirty one. what? I love that. What? Then should we say, what should we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Paul's writing here. He knows who his God is. If God is for you, who can be against you? When I was in high school, I liked to play basketball with my buddies. I played with my buddies because I couldn't play on my team anyway. And uh, so we played ball in, in, in our, our, in our driveway a lot and uh, I'd have friends come over and we'd lower it down to seven feet and dunk and be cool. And, uh, and I had one buddy who was, who was probably the best athlete and he was, he was better than I was. And uh, he came to me one day and he was like, hey, uh, I enjoy coming over to your house and playing basketball, um, but I don't want your dad to play with us anymore. And I was like, bro, that's weird. Why? And he was like, well, your dad's old and your dad's white and your dad's better than me. And he makes me feel dumb when he blocks my shot. And I don't want him coming and playing with us anymore. And I said, oh, I understand. He'll be here every week. I love that. 
I was like, you don't want my dad to play with us because he's better than you and he makes you feel dumb? Yeah, he'll be here all the time. That was a good moment for me. When we know how strong our heavenly father is, and that's a, that's a tiny, dumb little example, but when we know who the king of kings and lord of lords is and that he is for you, he is for you. The guy that, that breathed, that whispered, and the earth came into existence, he's for you. When you know that he's for you, it's pretty easy to begin walking in courage. Because it's not about you, it's about him. You have to know that he's for you. The second one, Romans 8.15, you have to know who you are. Romans 8.15, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received a spirit of sonship, of adoption. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. This God that is for you, he's your father. You are his son. You are his daughter. We've been talking about it all week. When you know that he loves you, when you know that he is for you, when you know that you are a son, that you are a daughter, then all of a sudden fear doesn't have a grip on you anymore. Fear doesn't hold you. First John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. There is no fear in love. You know what the Bible says? It says God is love. And when you know that God is love, there is no fear in love. He has no fear. God has no fear. Do you know that God is not ever afraid? He always knows he's going to win. He always knows he is victorious. And he is always for you. As a father, he's for you. Know who God is. You have to know who you are. I would say that it's really important for us to know the mission that we're joining and live for something bigger than yourself. I'm so moved by stories of men and women that live on mission and that are willing to give their lives for something more than just themselves. That live in sacrifice, that live in obedience to be a part of something greater than them. Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live according to the, in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. We wanna be the kind of people that have our minds set on what the Holy Spirit desires. And if we live that, if we live on his mission, then we have a purpose. See, courage isn't just about not having fear. Courage is about moving forward when you do have fear. Trusting in God. Trusting in who he is. Just before we end here, I want to talk about my favorite person. 1 John 2, 6. says, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Do you know that Jesus was a man of courage? See, we don't oftentimes associate courage when we talk about Jesus. Most people, the world, maybe your friends, when they hear Jesus, they think of a nice, sweet man who wore a robe and had a beard. I don't know what you think of but I believe he's the most courageous man to ever live. Jesus said that no greater love is there than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. He did it more than once. That's weird, huh? You're like, what are you talking about? 
Turn to Philippians 2. Verse 5. I know you didn't turn there because you're just going to read it behind me, but whatever. I'm old school. It says, your attitude should be the same that, as that of Christ Jesus. Remember, those who want to walk as, want to live in him, those who follow him must walk as he walked. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, he knew what he was getting himself into before he came. I want you to imagine that moment when you're sitting in eternity, when Jesus is sitting with his father. They've existed together for all of eternity past. They've made universes together for fun. He's sitting before the sea of glass. He's hanging out. And he's looking at earth and he's asked to go. And he knows what that means. That means stepping out of heaven and becoming a servant. And choosing death. He says, okay. I'll do it. I'll go. And I don't know what happened in that moment. I don't know what it looks like. But somehow, God became man. And he lived among us. That took courage. He lived perfectly. He lived without sin. Every day, never giving in. He, it says he was tempted in every way that you and I were tempted. He said no every day. He never compromised. That took courage. And then we get to the final scene. Well, actually, it's more of the middle scene. Mark chapter 14. Verse 32, Jesus goes... And he's hanging out. Uh, he, he meets with his disciples and then he goes to, in order to, this is kind of the preparation for the cross. In verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here, keep watch. Going a little farther, farther, he fell to the ground and prayed, if possible, that the hour could pass from him. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, if Peter was asleep, shocker. Simon, Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, are you still asleep, resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the son of man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let's go. Jesus has this moment with his father. He's like, Father, 
He calls him Abba Father. Remember, that's what those who know that they're a son cry out. He says, Abba Father, is there another way? This is going to be painful. I know this is why I came, but this is going to hurt a little bit, a lot bit. Not my will, but yours be done. In that moment, he made the choice to walk in courage for the thing that him and his father had partnered with for from the beginning. As he became man, he chose to walk forward. Then he goes and he is in front of Sanhedrin. I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to read all of this. I'm going to just tell you this part. He's in front of the Sanhedrin. And they begin, to, they begin to have testimony about him. They begin to say things that he's done wrong in order to accuse him. And, and Mark says that their testimony did not align. And Jesus in this moment, Jesus was a smart guy, actually the smartest. And he saw that their testimony didn't align. And he could have been like, um, excuse me. False testimony. Their testimonies don't even line up. This court doesn't matter. You're wrong. Obviously, their testimony doesn't line up. I'm not guilty. It's time for me to leave. And so they looked at him and they said, are you not going to say anything? He was silent when the accusation came against him. Didn't even line up. It was his chance to get out of it. But he was silent. And then they looked at him. And they said, they're bringing all this accusation against you. What do you think? Are you not even going to answer? Are you going to say nothing? (laughs) And Jesus, throughout his ministry career, had taken a lot of questions from, from these guys. And every time, what did he do? He flipped the script. They asked him a question and he asked them a question back to show the, the grossness in their own heart. This is common for Jesus. They come ask him a question in order to trap him. And he points out something within by asking them a question. So he can do it again right here. So they say, don't you hear this? Are you going to say nothing? What do you say? Are you the son of God? Son of the blessed one. And I love Jesus' response. Verse 62. I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds in heaven. He could have flipped it on him. Asked him something that revealed their own heart. That's what he had done so many times before. But he didn't. He answered with boldness and with courage. I am. You'll see me coming on the clouds. Sitting in heaven. And they're like, okay. We're going to kill this man. So he goes to the cross. And he's on the cross. And people start to mock him. He saved others. Can't he save himself? If he's the king, surely if he's who he says he is, he'd come down from that cross. Oh, physician, heal yourself. And he looks at them and he's like, I could wink and their teeth would fall out. (laughs) See if they'd be making fun of me then. But he doesn't. He goes through with it. Until he said, "It, it is finished. Time and time again, He chose to live in courage. He is our model. He's who we live for. Hebrews 12.2 says that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. It was for you that he did that. 
It was for you that when he was having a conversation with his father, he said, not my will, but yours be done. It was for you that when there was false accusation against him, for you, he didn't say anything. It was for you. That he responded with boldness and courage. It was for you that he didn't make anybody's teeth fall out. He went through it for you. Because you were the joy that was set before him. We are that joy. And I have good news for you. He didn't stay dead. He didn't stay in the grave. I'm going to read this. Do you know why you can be a man or a woman of courage? Romans 8, 11. And if the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life in your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. You don't have to walk in fear. You don't have to walk timid. You can know that the Holy Spirit is alive. He raised Jesus from the dead. As you walk the hallways of your school, you can know that. Oh, the Holy Spirit lives in me. Therefore, when people make fun of me, it's going to take boldness. It's going to take courage not to retaliate. But Jesus did it. The same spirit that raised him from the dead did it. And so you can do it too. When you're you're tempted to live in compromise, you don't have to do it. You don't have to give in because the Holy Spirit lives in you. That's a good day, friends. If you want to walk in courage and boldness, we need to walk as Jesus walked. He was the most courageous man to ever walk the planet. It's for you. And that same spirit lives in each one of us. And that's power. That's awesome. Because it's not about you. It's about him. It's about how great he is. A while back, I, uh, I read a book. And in the book, there was an excerpt from The Wizard of Oz. Anybody ever seen that movie? Yeah, it's, uh, I think it's coming out this summer or something. But, and uh, so there's this excerpt in this book. And I was like, man, this is so great. This Wizard of Oz, the book must be like this crazy cool allegory. And like, it, it seems like it's about God and, and man and all these different things. And so I was like, I'm going to read that book. And so I read The Wizard of Oz. And it is a kid's book. And I found no allegory or anything like that in it. But there's this character, the cowardly lion. And uh, I like this guy. Because the thing he wants is courage. But when you read the book, and I honestly, I don't remember the movie. But when you read the book, throughout the entire book, this lion, this cowardly lion is saying, if I only had courage, if I only had courage. And yet situation after situation that they're put, when, they're, when his friends' lives are in danger, he steps out and he saves them and he, and he puts himself on the line for them. And, and throughout the book, as you read it, he's living in courage. Every story, every chapter, he has courage. He just doesn't know it. And at the end, it took this goofy old man to look at him and say, Here's a pen. You have courage. You may not know that you have courage today. 
but you have it. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And I'm here. I'm the crazy old Oz today. No, wizard. Uh, That's weird. And I'm telling you, live in your courage. Live in boldness. Not because of how great you are, not because of how strong you are, not because of how smart you are. Because of how great he is, because of how smart he is, because of how strong he is. And he lives in you. Go ahead and stand with me. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I pray for greater revelation of who you are for each one of us. We want to be men and women that live as you lived, that walk as you walked. I just want to invite you, if, if you want to, if you feel like you need to begin living with courage, I just want you to raise your hand real quick. I want, I want to pray for you. Father, I pray for boldness. The righteous are as bold as lions. So today I pray for young men and young women that would live in righteousness, that would live in boldness. God, I pray for a remnant of young people that would not compromise, that would live every day, every moment of our lives to you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.